Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Push it. Push it good. Push it real good. <laughs> You're nothing. <laughs> I, would, I, thought you, I thought you were taking it over. That was great. I, it was... <laughs> Dude, it's like it's like our little dance circle. When the I, I when bet, the, then you got in the middle and you were doing your bit. When the fat beat drops, Andy, <laughs> somebody's got to pick it up. <laughs> uh, I failed happy, you. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween, Andrew. Ooh, happy Halloween. Uh, okay, so it's all horror trailers right now. Horror. And you gotta love ya some horror trailer. All right. So what is up with the is it's you know, red band. It's the new green. <laughs> Everybody's doing a red band trailer. Is this too no, this movie's too funny. It's gonna have a red band trailer. Oh, this movie's too scary. Better have a red band trailer. Oh this movie is too much drama. Better make it a red band trailer. That, now there'd be one I'd love to see. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, the, the, red the, the, the uh, presidential debates, 2012, the <laughs> Red Band trailer. Oh, it's a, just for everything that's just a little too much. Just a little too much. Uh, you know, before we forget, before we talk about this, uh, the Red Band trailer of the week. Uh, yes. Do you want to tell people about the Google Hangout, please? Yes, uh, on Saturday night uh, at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Or, no, 8.30 we decided. Yeah, right? 8.30. 8.30. We're going to be doing our Google uh, Hangout for Cloud Atlas. Which, so everybody has tomorrow and all day Saturday to go see the movie and then uh, and join us. We'd love to have you there. Definitely join us. And and unlike other uh, film board hangouts that we've done in the past, we're going to start this one uh, in the middle and actually work backwards before we hit the end and then work backwards toward the middle in their conversation so <laughs> that's awesome that was a, that was a little cloud atlas humor <laughs> gotta love it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's what i hear if there's one thing that i've heard leading up to cloud atlas it's just how funny it is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. comedy comedy of the event of the season well did you see the red band trailer for it <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing so hard. I was oh, rolling man. in the aisles. Rolling in the aisles. Not unlike how I felt watching the Evil Dead Red Band trailer. <laughs> wow, yeah. What Woo, happened doggy. to her tongue? Oh, oh that hurts. The, a lot of things she got. <laughs> Especially, you know, it's because the first half of the trailer is fine. It's like, oh, that's well, I, 
why did they put a red band on this one? It's fine. And then the cutting starts. And it's not just, it's like the cutting of the faces gets the cutting and then the, the tongue and the, what is wrapping on her legs that is cutting? And, and uh, there's just so much blood. Saw cutting. Oh, yeah. When her hand starts twitching and so she cuts her own arm off. That, ah, oh, people. Ah. Oh. All right, so how excited are you about, what do you know about this movie? This was the first I heard of it. You, I didn't even know it was coming. You sent me the list of trailers to watch. I watch. I didn't know it was coming either, and I, I heard someone talking about the Red Band trailer for it, and I was like, oh, I didn't know that that was, that was being remade. And, you know, I've never seen the original. I've only seen the second and third ones, and, and they're very campy. I've heard that the original one is a much more serious horror film. Um I don't know if it's as serious as this one looks, um, and I don't know if it's as gory as this one uh, clearly is, but um, I I definitely want to see it. It creeps me out. Yeah, yeah. No, creep, creeps me out is right. That's the that's the word. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I did. They, I, I don't know if I want to. I don't know. I'm going to go to the smaller theater. <laughs> this may be one that's just a little watch, too big. Watch this one in 3D. This is no 3D IMAX kind of treatment. I'm okay without that. As the as the two halves of her tongue come out. <laughs> oh, God. Ew. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, okay, so the, so that's the uh, that's the red band, and we'll get a link to that on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube link to it uh, in the notes. Uh, the next one, um, there was a teaser for uh, Carrie 2013. The remake, because clearly, uh, when it comes to horror, we're just out. We're just plumb out of ideas. We we finished in two thousand. I guess two thousand five is when the movie we're talking about tonight came out. I think that's and right. that was officially the last one that was actually interesting at all. <laughs> since then, it's yeah, nothing. Since but then, it all remakes all downhill. So we're out of all that. But it's good. We get to see new people in the same old roles and uh, kick ass fire. The teaser has man. She has destroyed the town. And uh, it looks great. Uh, it looks interesting to me. I am compelled. It, it does say it's, uh, what did it say? It says it's a revisioning. Yeah. So I, I'm curious. Uh, no, a reimagining. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm wondering how far they step out from the original story to to uh, change it. But clearly they have because I don't recall quite that much fire. Yeah, no, I she <laughs> I, I can imagine sort of a I mean it would take really the whole third act to destroy that much of the town. Like yeah. that, really that's the revisioning is you know. She doesn't look well. <laughs> she doesn't look well. No. Um, she's she's no longer a little nice child. We uh we need to acknowledge at least the uh Iron Man three trailer. Yes, yes. Hopefully I probably everyone in the world has seen that one by now yeah um that seems to be the trailer i just saw something pop up saying it's the most talked about what or one of the most talked about things on twitter right now is the new iron man 3 trailer so we're not going to talk about no we're not other than the mandarin looks awesome i'm very excited i'm very very excited about this movie uh i I know nothing about anything in the iron man world so i don't even know what you just said (laughs) oh is that is that ben kingsley yeah, but I don't now I don't want to talk about it. You've spoiled you've spoiled it and not in a good way. Uh do we need to talk about The Walking Dead? I mean, are you caught up? I you know, I fell asleep. So, I I have two <laughs> episodes left in one and a half episodes left in season 2. 
Hey, not bad. I know. I can't I've been b- you're telling it. me you you're telling me you fell asleep in the second of the last episode. Well, I was drinking a martini and you know. <laughs> Man, The Walking Dead's a martini TV show for you. <laughs> That's, That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I have my drinks. I'm a seltzer shows. I've got some soda shows. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I'm. I'm just going to tell you this. Season three is uh, quite good. I'm really happy with it so far. They've done it. They've really executed well. <laughs> so there a lot speak. of uh, yeah, a lot of executed zombies in the first episode. Ooh, yeah. Well, yeah. They're they're a well oiled machine at yeah. this point. Killing machine. They're killing machine. Uh, and finally, the uh, the red band trailer of uh, an American scream. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yes, not, it's not a red band trailer, but that would be great. Americans, what do you what appeals to you about this movie? You know, uh, there are certain documentaries that I just think are the perfect thing to make a documentary about. It like epitomizes everything great about documentaries, and I mean, there's plenty of great documentaries out there. This is a documentary about focusing on three uh, people or families in a small Massachusetts town who live and breathe for decking out their house in Halloween uh, decorations and, and haunted house paraphernalia and stuff. And it, the characters are... Just, sometimes you can't write characters as good as real people. And the characters in this just are so quirky and, and peculiar. And <laughs> the things they do are just so strange. And it just is everything that's great about Halloween. And it just... It makes you excited for the holiday and excited for the crazy people or crazy things that people do. And it just makes you fall in love with you know, the, the, this crazy country we have called America where people do things like this. So oh. I, it just made me happy to watch. I love it. I'm, uh, man, I, I don't know what to, I, I never quite know what to think about it. One of the, you know, one of the blurbs that, that comes up is, you know, it's amazingly, you know, interesting and, and heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's that's kind of what I think about when I think about this movie. Is uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's a little bit heartbreaking. But uh, man, you know, I love that line at the end. He says, "You know, these people won't remember me. You know, people who come through my house, they won't remember me, but they'll remember what I did here." Right. That's... Yeah. <laughs> we we and so and so we remember Custer. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. What did you, you know, what are you, did, were you a fan of the uh, Morgan Freeman, Alex Cross movies? I don't think you were, no, right? I, I, I really wasn't at all. I felt that they were, uh, they were very popcorn, like the epitome of a popcorn movie. I liked, uh, I liked one of them. I, you know, I, the problem is I like Morgan Freeman and I love, love, love the books. The cross books are fantastic. And so I'm, I'm really, I mean, I'm really uh, uh, upset that, uh, box office this week has Alex Cross at number five. And uh, it just, you know, it's just not right. It's just not, well, it's just not right. You think right. it would have been number one if it was Morgan Freeman and not Tyler Perry? No, no. This is one of those examples where I think they should have put the thing to bed. <laughs> this is a movie that shouldn't it's, have been made. Uh, too, too, uh, yeah, too much. It's too much. We didn't need it. It's too much. The character, yeah, too much. Uh, but it could, you know, uh, Morgan Freeman is not the Morgan Freeman that he was 15 years ago. I don't know that he, I, he's not that character anymore. We need a new Alex Cross if we're going to revisit. But Tyler Perry is not that guy. This is not that take on that character. I'm not. I'm not pleased with it. I thought it was a pretty strange choice from the first time I heard that he was going to be playing it, and. Um, 
I wasn't sure that this was the crossover film that they should have done with him to pull him out of the Medea. Yeah. Films. Yeah. Uh, taken two, uh, a taken comma also is still <laughs> number three in the box office behind Argo, but barely. I can't believe that movie is holding on as long as it has. When are we going to do our, uh, when are we going to start doing our, our, uh, the, the Hollywood stock market thing? You're gonna I start don't know. I, I have to spend time and like actually figure out what I'm doing with it. Man, because this is this is days, what I want to talk to you about. Can I give that as my answer? Yeah, one of these <laughs> days we're gonna start doing we're gonna start doing the wagers. Uh, paranormal Activity at the top of the box office this week. That's that's crazy to me. Uh, ah, but it's a fun series. I've only actually seen the first one, so I can't say it's a fun series. <laughs> but it quick, started fun. Though. Quick leap <laughs> to its defense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, shall we talk about uh, what we're talking about? This is the end. I know I'm a little sad, but too. I'm I'm really sad because, uh, especially after watching this movie this week, because it just reminds me. And you know, I, okay, follow up, just a little bit of follow up. Uh, I went back after we watched, uh, you know, um, uh, Dawn of the Dead last week, and we talked about because you had made a comment in the show last week about. Uh, how had if you were going to choose Dawn of the Dead, you would have chosen the you know the original Dawn right. of the Dead. And um, you know, I I definitely stand by the my pick with uh, Dawn of the Dead. But I did go back uh, and uh, amazingly, luckily, wonderfully, thanks to the internet, both uh, Night of the Living Dead, the original '60s version, and and the follow up original. Uh, Dawn of the Dead are available on YouTube and um, the Night of the Living Dead is available through Cracker so you can watch or Crackle so you can see the whole thing um, you know all the way through a couple little ad spots but you can get the whole thing and the other one is you know it's like broken into 10-15 minute parts for Dawn of the Dead and you can you can watch it (laughs) watch the whole thing which I did and um, uh, I don't think that makes me a criminal. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I just wanted to follow up on just how exceptional both of those movies really were. Yeah. And, and were the whole trilogy, both. really, Day of the Dead, I think, is 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 just as uh, great yes, as well. Yes, uh, it is. They, they're all really exceptional films. And there's just, I mean, it's one of those things that I think when you, it, it's it's one of those series that it's been so long uh, that it's, uh, we forget, or what we remember is the campy stuff. We remember the lumbering zombies. We remember sort of the, the, um, uh, we remember the gimmicks, the gimmickry. But what we don't, uh, remember is, uh, I, I think often, or is the stuff that, you know, that wasn't funny. You know, it's the, the sort of cultural stuff that they bring up in these films. And, and I think it's just there, there are so many layers to how these characters interact. Particularly, I think Night of the Living Dead was a, was a, it was a great film. I think I, I texted you. I mean, it felt felt like watching Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Uh, <laughs> those guys were were terrific, and the the, the yeah. cast was just terrific. Um, so I I highly recommend going back and watching those uh, watching those films as long as we're in the Halloween spirit. Definitely, definitely. And so tonight, the final pick is yours, sir. Yes, tonight we're talking about two 2000- thousand. This is again kind of like 28 Days Later. It's 2005, 2006 is uh, The Descent. It came out 2005 in the UK and 2006 in the US. But we'll go with 2005. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, this is a film that came out of nowhere for me. I, I had heard a little bit about it, I'd seen a trailer, and, and it looked just good and creepy. And uh, my wife and I went and saw it, and it was good and creepy. It was a a horror a, a horrifying film. It was just 
everything that you picture in your head when you go into a dark place like a cave or anything where it's just tight. I mean, it's got any so many different things that people can be afraid of. Claustrophobia, the dark, going, you know, under being trapped underwater, uh, you know, heights. <laughs> it's just cold. I mean, and then, you know, creepy crawly things chasing you in the dark trying to eat you. All of those things. And it does it so well. And it actually works on another level where we're looking at a person essentially kind of descending into madness. And so I think with all of that, this is a film that really brought a lot to the table, a lot more than many horror films um, had in, in quite a while. And, uh, and like you said, um, there hasn't been that many since. Um, if, if anyone can think of any, feel free to um, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear it. But this is definitely one that I think for the record books stands out as one of the great horror films of the last decade. Oh, man, is that ever true? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think, uh, uh, well, here's my, here's my pitch of why that's true. Go uh, for it. Because, you know, at the time that this movie came out, uh, there were, there were other movies that came out that dealt with, uh, you know, the dark and small spaces and heights and underwater and creepy crawly things. Uh, both the cave and the cavern came out shortly after the descent and they were, uh, by and large, uh, sort of pedestrian attempts to to hit the 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 scare factor. Uh, part of of what I think is so great about Neil Marshall's uh, work here is that uh, it, it starts with the choices he made from the very beginning, which is first of all to make an all female cast. Yeah. That that sets it out, and it's it's a unique kind of a structure. Um, and there are some complexities in the relationships, we can, which we'll you know I'm sure talk about shortly. But um, that that make this um, kind of a unique experience to see not not just all women, but all really strong women, like strong women craving adventure, who are at different points in sort of a grieving process. But they're all um, they're all you know they're already strong. They're tough and. And I think that's an interesting, it makes for an interesting start. And in no way are they stereotypical. No, that's it. That's the thing. I mean, it's it, it, these, it, you know, that going into this movie that it's, you know, just by the sort of theme of it, you know, that they're, you know, they're already tough and they're going to be tested at a level that is, you know, that is up to where they are. So, you know, it's going to be, you know, sort of extra scary because they're not, you know, they're not the bubbly cheerleaders. Right. Uh, right. Um, this would be a great cast to do the Expendables two with, or the, the, <laughs> the female version of the, the Expendables. Sorry. Right in forty five years. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, that's the first thing. It it works very very well on that sort of interpersonal kind of character level. So the movie is very strong. It's got a really strong foundation. Yep. Second, uh, the movie works exceptionally well as a a, a really scary scary movie. Without the creepy crawlies, yeah, right? Without totally the crawlers. This... Totally. And, you know, to some critics, that was a problem. They felt cut out the creepy crawlies, yeah. or as they call them, crawlers. crawlers. Um, just cut those guys out, and you already had a great movie. Why throw that in there? I think it's perfect with it with them in there, and I think those critics probably just were sick and tired of, of creepy crawly things in, in movies, but, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it's the movie he wanted to make. I, yeah. I think that's the... 
you know, it's the movie when we're making. And it, it, I think it works so, so well. I mean, the, 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 it's got this wonderful slow burn to it, you know, like when it, when it starts, you kind of get the relationship, you get the rafting and you just, you see it all sort of unfold. Then they hit the cave and, uh, you can already tell that first passage that they have to crawl through when, when, um, you know, is it, I guess it's Sarah, uh, that gets stuck. Yeah. And it, I, you know, for my money, I, uh, that was hard to watch right there. I mean, I, I found myself like y- y- doing the pacing thing. You know, I was watching in, <laughs> I was watching on my iPad in the kitchen in broad daylight <laughs> while I was making some eggs. And, I was so scared, like I had to back up away from the stove. Like I was pacing <laughs> around the kitchen, like doing that thing, you know, where you say, oh, no, 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 can't, no, oh, no. You know, having those conversations with myself. And it was, it was like that scary. And we're only 30 minutes into the film. It's it's very true. The pacing of this film works so well. And it is a very slow burn. And all of those, because of the nature of spelunking, I, and I don't know if you've ever sp- gone spelunking. I've... I've gone spelunking and I've actually crawled through some really, really tiny holes. And it is, you have to force yourself to not think about it because if you do think about it, it can absolutely terrify you and it can, it can put you in a really bad place. And so um, seeing these, these people in those situations right from, as you're going through it already, it's just making it so scary. And he, and he sets it up with a great moment at the beginning, like three minutes in already, we have a huge jolt and, uh, with, you know, the, with Sarah's loss right. and that just puts us in the right frame of mind for this film. And, but then it does give this nice slow burn as they descend into the darkness of this cave and they, they work their way through it. And just everything about their travels from the beginning, um, into the cave, it just, it's, it just gets tighter and creepier and darker and uh, just so much more uncomfortable and claustrophobic. And it just builds that tension. So by the time the crawlers show up, your back is already in knots from, from yeah. just locking up as you're sitting there watching it. I think there's a funny, there's a funny thing that goes on with this movie, right? Because of the loss, like I get, I get the loss and it's a horrifying way to sort of your spouse and daughter are mm-hmm. killed in a car accident when they're run through with pipes. I mean, I don't know. What do you call? Is there a word for that? It's uh, impaled. Impaled. There is a. (laughs) (laughs) That would be the word. As it turns out, somebody's (laughs) totally thought of that. (laughs) So uh, impaled. They're impaled. They're (laughs) they're run through. Uh, And and so it's hard. You could have just as easily made this a movie about uh, sort of redemption and recovery. Like without the creepy crawlies, they go through, it's scary, it's hard, and they come out stronger and a tighter group of women. And that, like, your brain sort of wants it to be that way about halfway through the movie, right? You sort of, you you sort of have this feeling when she makes it through the tight cavity and uh, is is not, you know, crushed or popped by any of the heavy rocks. Uh You think, ah, thank goodness she made it. It can only get better from here. (laughs) And that's such uh, a betrayal right. <laughs> because it does not get better from there. It doesn't and not yeah. in any way. No, not in any way. Not when, in when any way. she's I what is the character who's who's talking her through it and telling her to panic? What's her name? I get their names so confused. Um That is It's not um, Juno. That's Beth. It's Beth. So Beth is saying, You're stuck 
and you're still alive. It can't get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> you liar. I think it's Beth, or maybe it's Rebecca. It might be Rebecca who goes back and helps her, because Rebecca is the one who's telling her all the, the dirty jokes. Right, right. <laughs> right. So uh, that's that was just the ultimate kind of... Uh, <laughs> ultimate betrayal because it's not true it gets way worse <laughs> it does <laughs> yes it does because as they come to find out juno the the one who brings them on this crazy adventure is of the mindset that in order to really make it a true adventure she has to essentially lie to them and take them to a completely different cave that's never been explored before. It's not the one they're registered to be going into and, and no one knows where they are and they have no map and they have no idea how to get out of it once that co the collapse happens. So even after getting through that collapse and surviving the claustrophobia of that situation, now you're put into a situation where you're trapped in a cave and you have no idea if there's another way out and, and you're with these six women as they have to deal with that and it's terrifying they put you in just the terrifying situation after terrifying situation because right after this they they go to the um uh the the giant drop off and they have to uh again rebecca has to basically climb across the ceiling um laying in uh i don't know the clips whatever so that they P can run a rope through what it and they, they can all slide across and it's I mean, it just gets harder and harder as they go through this thing. And then, of course, the crawlers are there. It's at, just, it's at, relentless. At what point are you using pitons versus carabiners? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> and, and what is the old one that they find? Would that yes. be a piton? <laughs> That's a noose. I just don't know. Uh, yes. So it's, it's you sound, a, you sound right. in the know, though, when you throw those words out. I know, right? You just need to know a couple of words and say them mm -hmm. with confidence. And, That's right. And don't ever test me on an actual wall. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's it is it's already uh, absolutely terrifying. And what I love about it is this character Juno. I I think of them all. I think Juno is probably my favorite. Yeah. Uh, because I have friends who would do that, who would have <laughs> the best intentions, and totally do something stupid like this. Like they would just absolutely make the most sort of nuclear mistake. Uh, uh <laughs> filing a fake flight path for a trip for a rescue <laughs> that will never occur oh man <laughs> you know uh and and it's i mean it's just uh, it's it's uh kind of one of those naturally stupid kind of stupid human tricks that that you know again it could have worked out as a rescue redemption story it could have but obviously that was not the story that Neil Marshall wanted to tell, and at every point along the way, builds that case, and that's why it's so great when the when she when Beth first sees, uh, you know, the that she's actually in an underground city, <laughs> underground city of the crawlers. Now, what's your take on the crawlers? Uh, well, I I think they're extremely creepy. They. Neil Marshall talks about them. It's never clear, or I shouldn't say it's never clear. It's never really spelled out as to like their origins in the film, which I think is great. Sometimes I think moments like that can be too expository and it can kind of take, well, it's the midichlorian right, right. effect, right? Um, by not defining it, it just it, it forces you to think in your head, okay, these are clearly humanoid creatures. They've been living here long enough to have pale skin, to have developed, you know, a bit bigger ears so they 
do everything with hearing and like this echo location sound they make. Their eyes are completely blind. And it made for very interesting uh, thing to think about. Now, he talks about how they're kind of descendant from cavemen. And basically, they've been around as long as cavemen, but they've just never really left the cave. Right. And I, I think that is really interesting. Uh, and it's, I mean, and you see it. You see, it's not just like men crawlers running around. You see a child crawler right, right. who Sarah kills, and then you see the mother crawler who comes along for killing her child. <laughs> this is a perfect example yeah. of the thing where we have these these poor innocent little crawlers <laughs> running around their home, minding their own business, and all of a sudden these humans invade and just start slaughtering them all. <laughs> That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Uh, and and uh, and it, but but I want to get to that. I want to highlight that point because I think that's one of the things that makes this such an expert sort of story is that he puts all of the breadcrumbs in place for you to to make your own conclusion about who these are, who these creatures are. Right. Yep, right. He, he, he puts all of the pieces in place and never explains it out loud. Right. right exactly. You just, you just get to it. It's just so expertly part of the part of the visual, not part of the the dialogue. And I think that's a that's just a a, a beautiful uh, execution. Uh, yeah. The most crawlers. you have is when uh, Sam, Juno, and Rebecca are standing over a recently killed one that they just um, dispatched. Right. And they are and and Sam is a medical student, and so Juno is kind of like, all right, so what is this we're dealing with here? And there's just a small bit of exposition right there with Sam just trying to give us a sense as to, okay, well, they're blind. They It looks like they get around with with their sense of hearing and stuff like that. So, But you, but know, you know what? That's not... done that... in such a simple way where you don't have to dig too deep into it. But but the, I think what's important about that is that it's there the context uh, in which they are discussing those elements in particular are related to how they fight and evade the exactly, crawlers, right. not about where the crawlers came from. Yeah, it's done in such a way where it's it's it fits perfectly within the scene because it's very natural as to what they would be talking about already. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not them having to go, well, where could they have come from? Well, we saw those cave paintings earlier on. It must be them descended from those people who painted them. You know, it, that would have just felt so out of place. It, why would they be talking about that when they're running for their lives, essentially? It wouldn't have made any sense. Neil Marshall was very smart the way he wrote that script. And I know that they actually, he, he said he had it much more expository. And working with the actresses on set, they really helped um, as a team almost kind of fine-tune some of that writing so it didn't come across so expository. And it felt much more natural. And in the end, it did leave uh, a lot more to our imaginations, which, as you said, makes it a, just a much stronger film. Um. So when you're thinking about this film and you're thinking about, uh, you know, as you kind of go through the relationships in the film, because that's, I, I think that's one of the things that makes it a, a little bit difficult. And I'm not sure kind of how to how to frame a conversation about it. First of all, there are six women crawling around in the dark. And, uh, you know, I think he made a, a good call to give them different accents. Uh, because yeah. that actually helps you figure out who's talking, you know, who who they are when they're sitting in the dark lit, you know, very much uh, by, you know, dimming flashlights and, and you know, uh, torches. Uh, but, uh, you know, how do you, when they split up, 
right? When they're when they're separated into their smaller kind of groups, uh, how do you want to talk about the um, you know the individual kind of character arcs here? The ones well, that are, I mean, the ones that are interesting are Beth, really, and, and Juno, and and Sarah. I think you know that's but, that's definitely the the main crux of the story. I do think that Neil Marshall is very smart with his with his uh, his DP um, Sam McCurdy and uh, and the the gaffer uh, lighting the set were very smart in how they used the lights after the group split, splits up because you have Juno by herself lit essentially with her I mean all she really has is her is the um I was going to call it the torch but the light the flashlight on on her helmet right mm-hmm. See I'm speaking British now it's the torch on her helmet Um that's that's how she's lit then you have Rebecca and Sam, the two sisters who have kind of run off together, they end up, all of their scenes now are essentially lit with the green um, little, uh, right. what do you call those things? Little shaker things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the trick-or-treat stick. Yeah, the trick-or-treat <laughs> stick, right. Um, they're lit with that. And then you have Sarah by her, herself. By this time, um, we've lost a couple. Well, and Well, at this point, she's, she's got the camera. Yeah, she's got the camera, so she's seeing in the infrared, and then she creates a torch of her own, and so she's lit by fire, essentially. Yeah. So you do have a kind of way to kind of color code, okay, that's these characters, that's these characters, which really helps, because they are kind of all wearing the same outfits, for the most part, and Mm -hmm. it is kind of hard to tell which one's which. The accent's great, but, I mean, it does kind of come to a point where they're not talking that much. Right. You know, they're all hiding, and... And having the different color coding, I think, really does help. But you're, but yeah, let's focus on the relationship between Sarah and Juno, and then also Beth, and how they how that all ties together. It's right from the start we get a sense that there's something going on between Sarah's husband Paul and Juno, and we do find out that in fact uh, Juno and Paul are having an affair, and. Well, um, but you know, I mean, that was really that was another one where that was really artfully delivered. Right. I mean, it's not. uh, I mean, when she says, you know, we all lost something in the accident. It's yeah, it's done in such a way where it's all looks right. Yeah. Yeah. After that, after the rafting scene at the beginning, you see Sarah greeting her daughter. But then you see Paul helping Juno take her helmet off. Juno had, you know, they knocked her in the water playfully and he's taking her on. She's like, oh, she's freezing. We got to get her warmed up. And. And all that, and you see Beth kind of watching, and just the eyes, the way that everybody's looking, you can totally sense what's going on there, and that Sarah has no idea. Right. Right. It's it's very artfully done, and, and done in such a way where it's just nothing else needs to be said. We already have a sense as to what's going on here. Right. Right. So we know that there's some tension there that does not get resolved. I mean, it, it's it, clearly Beth is carrying some stuff. Yeah. And and Beth, unfortunately, um, and and it's interesting. It's it's very manipulative the way that Neil Marshall plays the scene with Juno, um, because we see Juno wrestling two crawlers, and she fights them to the death and kills these two crawlers. And then we hear a noise behind her, and we're rooting for Juno because we think she's just kicking butt. And she hears the noise behind her, thinking it's a crawler, and she swings around with her pick and drives it right through the neck of it turns out to be Beth not a crawler uh beth 
Have we been we've been saying Beth or Sarah? No, Beth is the one who knows about the relationship uh, that Juno is having with Sarah's husband. Right. Beth right. was the one who we see watching at the beginning in yes. the rafting trip and kind of gets us we get a sense that Beth knows. Yes. Okay. I, I was getting names confused. So right. yes, it's Beth that gets the pick through the neck. And as she is falling back, uh, she grabs Juno's uh, amulet necklace thing. Right. Talisman. Talisman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's not a talisman. Then she I eats, just call it a necklace. Then she eats a blood sausage. <laughs> uh, okay, so it's a, it's a uh, talisman. And, uh, and, and so then she falls back and, and really for the next, you know, 40 minutes, she gurgles, she kind of bubbles. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty horrifying. It's it's really horrible. It's very horrifying. It's a horrible way to go. And, uh, and so they have this moment and you know, I mean, this is what is so great about Natalie Mendoza's kind of portrayal of Juno is that like, she's just constantly dumb. She's just well-intentioned dumb girl, right? Like she yeah. just is dumb, and and she she does the pickaxe through the, the axe through the throat, and you know in her eyes you, you can see it's like oh my god this was we're both gonna laugh about this later because this was such an accident, right? You know that that's kind of like I am so sorry I just put that through your throat, uh, and and it 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 doesn't end up uh, ending well for her. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Uh, but it, but it is done well. I mean, she she's doing all these things, trying to make, just trying to create these adventures, and it's just yeah, she's just right. <laughs> she right. isn't very smart about it. Doing everything it, to to sort of make up for poor, poor choices in the past. That that's sort of my my impression. It's, it's sort of we're seeing this snapshot of her, and she just can't get a break. <laughs> uh, and and so, but this is where this is where sort of the story turns because now Beth is Beth is down. Uh, we think dead, but mm-hmm. but turns out not. Uh, Sarah is has been separated uh, at this point. She and Juno actually reconnect, uh, and they have uh, the most fantastic uh, scene of ass kickery uh, against underground subterranean you know creatures, cave yeah. creatures that has ever been put to celluloid. They and go this is, this nuts is toward the end of the film after, yeah. yeah. Everyone else has been killed. Yeah, uh, but but this it, is a it, horribly uh, full of spoilers. Well, it's totally full of spoilers. <laughs> but this is why it's because this is the scene that I think you know that that I I just love this scene because it's the I mean this is the the hero montage right? It's like this is where they finally are like you know what you just get this feeling that there is. Um, you know, there's still a lot of weird tension, obviously, because at this point, uh, to step back just briefly, Sarah has discovered Beth is still alive. And and Beth says, uh, you know, you've and <laughs> uh, that Juno did this to me and I can prove it because I have her talisman. And by the way, this really hurts. Could you kill me, please? <laughs> right. So it all comes out. That's an amazing scene. It oh really is. God. It really is. It's heartbreaking too. It's just everything about it just kills you. Oh. Yeah, but it, it you know it is it is a great way to um, 
kind of resolve this story that we started right at the beginning. This, uh, I guess we would just call it a love triangle, even though Paul is killed right at the start. Um, it's a it's a fantastic way to resolve all of it, and it's done again so simply. There's no words said. They have this big fight, and then Sarah just dangles that necklace down, and and we just see their looks. Everyone knows what's going on. It's done so well, and it's done so simply. And just another reason why this script just is such a solid piece of writing is it doesn't feel ever like it's it's stepping into over exposition zone right and and what you see in these sort of breadcrumbs particularly in sarah's kind of relationship with herself she goes from this point of being fragile when she shows up at the cabin to being terrified when she's trapped in the in the you know in the pipe and uh to being to to that moment where she is euthanizing her friend well it's real. it really changes when yeah. she uh, almost when she rises out of the blood, like she, when she falls into the giant <laughs> pool of rank blood. That was so gross. <laughs> it's one of the most horrifying things that you just can't get out of your mind. It really <sighs> is just the idea of that. But that's, but, and when she comes out, it's, it's almost like, uh, Kurtz coming out of the, the water in Apocalypse Now or something right. like that. You know, right. you have that. Um, same sort of thing, or not? It's the not rebirth. I mean, name? it's it's the rebirth. Yeah, it's it's totally her rebirth. Yeah, and we see her um, transform, and uh, and that point, Willard is is who I I meant, not Kurtz, but it's it's her transforming, and all of a sudden, it's as if, and this is this is what I was saying earlier, how the film also is is like a metaphor for Sarah's descent into madness, and really, it's this is finally the point where she's kind of hit rock bottom. And it's almost as if she herself has become a crawler. She has, and it, it all starts with the loss of her, the loss of her family right at the beginning. And then we have that kind of creepy dream in her head where she sees that birthday cake. Cause her daughter's birthday was, no, but wait, 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 see that wait. kind of creepy birthday Ugh. cake emerging out of the darkness with her daughter. And we see that over the course of the film several times. And, as Sarah is essentially, from that point forward, she's slowly descending into um, madness. And uh, I mean, initially, I guess, depression, but eventually it's just madness. And by the time she hits that point where she's she's kind of killed the family of of crawlers down in the blood pool room, she essentially has become a crawler. And she's kind of bottomed out with with her level of madness here. And it's just, it's so horrifying. And it's so interesting because when she screams right there, she's, she just lets out that guttural yell, right? And then we cut to Juno, who is still with um, Rebecca and Sam, and they hear her, they hear a scream. But on the cut, we go from June or from Sarah screaming to them hearing a crawler screaming. Right. And I don't know if they're specifically saying, you know, oh, oh, she's a crawler now. But it's just a very interesting editing choice to do it that way, where it really does put you in this mindset that Sarah has kind of gone down to the point where she's almost just another one of these monsters in the dark. But see, this is this is why we have to do all the spoilers. 
yeah, is to get it to this right here because it, you know what what we've what we've seen so far is we get to her and the rebirth and she kills her friend and then she goes just batshit crazy and kills all of those uh all of those other uh crawlers with Juno and then she's face to face with Juno right and they do the talisman and she takes the pick and she sticks it through Juno's knee and leaves her there right, right. and it leaves Juno who is turns around and is now aware of all the crawlers that have come have surrounded her uh, as as Sarah leaves uh now on on one hand and if you were if you viewed this opening weekend in the United States this very much is a story of her redemption and reconciliation because she she resolves this issue you know in in a sort of very final way with Juno and then crawls out and emerges from the depths into the light and and drives away right well yes and no i would say yes she escapes and she's free from this horror that she's found. But no, she is now still ha- it kind of mad because it ends on a on an up note when she's sitting in the car and she turns to the seat next to her and she sees, I guess you could almost call it like Juno's ghost yeah. or Juno's demon or something sitting next to her. And we hear Sarah scream and that's where we cut and went to black at the end of the U.S. release. So, but, but, you know, it's this story of kind of freedom, right? I mean, she's, yeah, she breaks free physically, but I would say it's, it's, yeah, she's, she's physically free. Okay. I know what you're saying. Right. Well, and so we've, we've seen this sort of character arc of her where she is, she's, she's resolved those relationships. She's lost a lot. I'm not saying it's a happy ending by by all (laughs) means. I'm not, not even close, but, uh, but the ending that it sounds like, and I don't know, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I am definitely putting words into Marshall's mouth here. But the ending that, that has been re-released, the ending that I have, uh, is, uh, you know, she sees the, um, you know, she sees the, the ghost of Juno in the car next to her. And then we are, it's a, we've got a slap cut back to the, to the right, she screams uh, and then she yeah. she wakes up she wakes up and she's in the cave still where she fell after she escaped where she left Juno right okay well that was actually a question so she so she fell when she left Juno and then woke up in that same place I need to catch that again because I was wondering yeah. where where is it that she fell and and actually passed yeah. out she runs from Juno after she drives the spike or the stake or the the, yeah whatever it is the pick uh through juno's Pe- knee i'm sure it was a piton the, the pick <laughs> <laughs> uh, she drives it through her knee and then she runs and lets all the crawlers attack juno and she's running through the caves and she trips and she like falls down a you know a, a hole or something oh, right, 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 and right. she lands and knocks herself out and then we see all of a sudden we see the sunlight and she as she kind of opens her eyes she sees sunlight coming from up above below this giant pile of bones and so she scales the giant pile of bones to actually break free and that's how she finally escapes when she after she escapes and she goes through the whole thing and she's sitting in her car she sees the juno demon or whatever and she screams and she wakes up it's at that moment where she really wasn't at a giant pile of bones with the way out she's actually just still stuck in the cave and she's on a ledge but now she truly has gone mad and she's at a point where 
she's actually probably happier than she was in the in the way it was released in the American version because in the American version she's clearly um, mad and in a negative way where she's now haunted by yeah. Juno's demon whereas in the this version the the director's cut the um, unrated cut whatever you want to call it right. but the original cut we see her as she looks up and she sees her daughter with the birthday cake in front of her yeah. and we see her smile and a tear rolls down her cheek and she's in a very happy place. She In her mind, she's in a happy place where she's with her daughter and then we see the camera um, truck backward and we see that her daughter's not really there and the lights from the birthday cake are really her torch that are that's laying on the ground in front of her. But she's still staring off happily looking at the whatever is in her head of her daughter as you and hear so the crawler scream is actually almost more hopeless because she's actually still stuck in the cave and you hear all the crawlers start screaming and sounds like they're getting closer but mentally she's in a happier place yeah i yeah i i guess <laughs> but she's still mad and she it's yeah. a, it's a hopeless situation it is a hopeless situation i think that's that's what it is and this is the this is i i think the ultimate point for me at least i usually hate these endings i am a great american moviegoer <laughs> you you love the the the, the happy ending that i comes out of field, but yeah it makes you happy and it but resolves it, everything it's a, i just need a little bit more of a bow and yet in this movie for some reason i really like this ending yeah i like the fact that no one makes it and i think um you know, I th th I don't know how th uh, this. I hope this doesn't come off as offensive. I think it's because uh, it, it's made so much more powerful that uh, you know uh, it is sort of the gender gender neutral choice, right? Uh -huh. Like usually there's the, you know the, the bimbo gets wasted, but the the hot girl gets saved, right? Somehow yeah. in these horror movies, the hot girl virgin, the hot girl virgin gets saved. Well, in this movie, we have a lot of strong hot girls, and none of them make it. Like, they didn't go lightly on any of these characters. And right. and that there was, you know, there was a story, there was a series of really dumb choices made by, you know, some, you know, dumb, well-intentioned people, and, and they tried their best, and they fought hard, and they didn't make it. And And that was sort of redemption enough, I think, for the story for me. Yeah. I love yeah, this movie. I, I think you're right. It's um, very smartly done all the way through uh, character-wise, the the way that it builds to that ending. And I think the title itself, The Descent, we're watching this, this you know, Sarah as she kind of descends into madness. And it ends on this note where that is horribly hopeless and depressing, but it is so right. It's It's the right ending for this film. Yeah, it really is. It really is. They played yeah. it so well. Uh, Craig Conway, I think, is the I, you know, and I watched the making of stuff on this uh, on That's this one. Great stuff. He he is one of the best <laughs> just people to watch move. He's he's somebody who just needs to be our friend too. He totally needs to be on that list. Yeah. Uh, he is uh, he is a delight to watch and hear talk about. He portrayed just uh, uh, what the uh, sort of affably named Scar, uh, one of the the kind of hero. <laughs> hero crawlers mm -hmm. and uh he was he did a terrific all of the crawlers i think did a, a fantastic job and i think you know hearing neil marshall talk about them being uh you know actors not dancers uh right. that that these characters brought more 
sort of substance. And Shauna McDonald had a great quote about the crawlers, which I think is just hilarious. She said, if a Klingon and Spock had a child and it was totally hairless and a bit shorter and quite sinewy and was cousins with Gollum, <laughs> that's basically what a crawler looks like. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's totally right. That's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. It really is. It's really truly that the other the other crawler uh, there's a great cast of crawlers uh, but the other one i think that is worth noting is is justin hackney who plays the young boy crawler not for long attacks sarah uh jumping on her from behind when she uh before she falls into the giant uh pool of blood oddly enough justin hackney is also the infected zombie child in 28 Days Later, <laughs> who jumps on uh, Killian Murphy's back before Killian Mur- Murphy stomps it on his head and crushes him. <laughs> that is awesome. I know. It's it's like... <laughs> that is so <laughs> the child great. child is destined to be uh, somebody who jumps on people's back but, and, and gets his head crushed. But you know what? That's so good. So I'm looking at him in IMDb, and those are the only two movies he's done. <laughs> Well, clearly somebody needs to write another movie that has a, a creepy character jumping on someone's back and then getting his head crushed because oh he would definitely be the man to cast in that role. That is so good. Yeah. How funny. Yeah. Um, all uh, let's see. Any other uh, of the sort of actresses you want to talk about? Well, I think they're all great. Yeah. Um, all six of the actresses I think are all fantastic. Shauna McDonald, Natalie Mendoza, Alex Reed, Saskia Mulder, Mayanna Burring, Nora Jane Noon. They're all they all bring so much to their own roles, and I I don't know if any of them have really done a whole lot. I think a number of them were actually in The Descent too, which I never saw, but I heard was absolutely horrible. Um, but um, I don't know how many of them have, have really branched out into a lot of other things, but honestly, I think that they all do such a great job. I'd love to see them in more stuff. Yeah, I you know I remember Nora Jane Noon from Doomsday, which was another Neil not, Marshall's follow up, right? Yeah, and and uh, but uh, you know, and and it was one of those that I I sort of enjoyed as I enjoyed Death Race. You know, I mean, it was just kind of there, mm-hmm. uh, but it it didn't have sort of the class I think that the descent um, the descent had. Um, let's see, uh, Mayanna Burning is. Uh, She's in, she's, she's in she's some of the in, Twilight movies. Uh, the Twilight movies, exactly. Getting out there, um, and uh, so she's she's someone who's who's more familiar. Um, also, also in Doomsday. Yep, yep. Uh, Saskia Mulder. Uh, you know, she, I I don't have a memory of her in the beach, but she she did the beach at some point. Uh, I don't. I, I have no memory of her in anything else. I don't either. Uh, but. Was it uh, no Alex Reed? She's been in a bunch of stuff that I don't know. She's she's one. Oh, I, I know why I know her because I am so in love with Misfits, the TV show. I think we've talked about this on the show, <laughs> right? right. Uh, and that's uh, it, it is a fan freaking tastic show uh, that is available on Hulu. You should check it out. Um, Natalie Mendoza is has been in a bunch of stuff. She's Code, in Moulin Rouge. Code 46 was a terrific film. Um, uh, let's see. She did The Descent to uh, Hotel Babylon. 
Yeah. Um, the Great Raid was a was a, mod, a, a medium sized film. Yeah. Yeah. Beastmaster, the TV series. Oh, I'm uh, Farscape. She was uh, she was uh. on Farscape, which was another of my very favorite TV shows. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I think they were all strong. The um, but but in general, I think it it comes down to just these these women that end up, you know, working well together and, um, you know, the just really smart, strong choices about strong characters that that fight their hardest and don't make it. Yeah, and painted in a light like you know, going back to that lighting. I mean, how much of a challenge would that be to to go ahead and make the choice? You know what? I'm gonna go ahead and light um with matches yeah. and we'll just with see only the things that they actually yeah. have with them only the things they would and then and then stick to it as a director yeah. when you're you know five weeks in and you can really tell when you watch this i mean i in order to really get the full effect of this i mean i just i watched this at night and i just turned all the lights off because it is so dark yeah. this is such a dark film you really want to watch this in a dark room because there's not a lot of light in it right Right. Yeah, a great film. Um, David Julian does the music, which I think is just a, a stellar score. He did a lot of um, Christopher Nolan's early films up until he uh, started the Batman stuff. Uh, but just great, great score. Just very haunting. It's definitely got some homages to uh, The Thing and Indio Morcone's score, which right. um, you pointed out. Yeah, quite, you know, I don't know if it's even an homage at this point in some places. <laughs> Yeah, no, it really feels like just it's blatantly like pretty pulling much, the, uh, pretty much thing the thing music out yeah. and putting it in there. But, you know, Neil Marshall talked about a number of his influences yes. for this film. The Thing was one of them, um, as was Alien, and which he said for the atmosphere, the menace, the dark spaces, deliverance, an adventure trip that goes wrong. And he really taps into a deliverance because he's got quite a number of shots, particularly at the beginning where he was really even just patterning certain shots after some of the shots from Deliverance. Uh, I think that was a, definitely a big film for him. I love um, how he... Also The Shining, and just a story about someone going insane. Yeah. Uh, so I love how he characterizes uh, Deliverance as, uh, you know, it's not a horror movie, uh, it typically classified as a horror movie, but it, to him it's a horror movie as, uh, you know, a, an innocent adventure gone horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> It really is. Yeah. It really, it really, it's a horror, horror, horror horrible film, uh, in in the very best way. Right. Um. So uh, it did. Uh, in terms of budget, what it cost them to make this movie, I see three and a half million. Probably I see what is five? A production budget of seven million, actually. All right. All right. But you never know with these things. Uh, so seven million, and then box office. What do you see? And see here again, I see total budget twenty-two million. So I really don't know what the budget of this film is. It's all over the map. All the the different sites have totally different uh, budgets yeah. down. But I see domestically in the U.S. here, it made um, about just over twenty-six million, and internationally about thirty-one million. So all told, fifty-seven million. So whether the budget was seven million or 22 million it still made its money back it made its money back and it it has taken its place as a as one of the very best modern sort of horror interpretations i think it's just a it's a great great movie if you really want to go get scared it, you know even having seen this film um a good number of times i still like 
<laughs> when the the one like jumps off the ceiling and and uh, attacks the two sisters as they're kind of creeping out of their hiding place. Yeah. That still had me practically leaping off the couch. Yeah. <laughs> this was like <laughs> I knew something was coming but I could not remember where and man it's it still is so effective. So, so true. Effective. So true. Uh so what are your extra things? <laughs> My extra things. I um just want to briefly just mention the fantastic one of the many fantastic poster designs but the the one that um that I have seen most frequently is the one that's designed in the style of the um uh Philippe Halsman photo um called In Voluptas Mors uh that you also saw on the Silence of the Lambs poster on the the back of the Death's Head moth right. the the skull shape made out of naked women bodies um it's a very interesting uh photo that uh, Philippe Halsman did and uh, actually has Salvador Dali in the photo. And um, they use that design to create just a, a wonderful poster using the six women creating that skull shape. And, and at the top of it, you have Sarah doing her like death scream. And it's, I think that's just such a fantastic idea for the poster design. And, um, uh, and I love it. It's, it's just beautifully horrific. You know, I, I don't know exactly how this works. I, I could not find the, you know, the artist who was responsible, but it's from, you know, this is from one of those big companies, right? Art Machine, a trailer park company that has, is responsible for poster art for, uh, you know, all the movies, <laughs> right, right. Pick a movie; uh, they probably didn't yeah, post. Yeah, from Dark Knight, uh, all the Dark Dark Knight movies uh, about Cherry, about uh, all the Wrath movies, Crash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans. Uh, um, let's see. I mean, Planet of the Apes, Rise of Planet of the Apes, Green Lantern, all the hero, big hero movies. Um, you know, Real Steel, your favorite father son film. That's uh, a great movie. Um, it's, uh, you know, these guys have done all of them. Uh, and, but this, this one, this poster, I'm glad you brought it up because this, this poster, I think, uh, is, is one that when you look at this massive map of all of the posters that they've done, this one actually stands out. Yeah. Um, it is, it is really beautiful work, uh, as a piece of art, as an inter reinterpretation of art right. uh, of another work. I think it's a terrific film. It's it's very uh, just it's it's a terrifying image, just the nature of the skull made out of bodies, but it ties so well into the this story, and it's just it's done so well. So yeah, fantastic poster. And uh, other than that, um, I, I that was really it. That was my little uh, my extra little thing. Oh, fancy that! Yeah, didn't have too many. Oh, I like it. Where uh, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Soda Creek Film or Facebook at Soda Creek Film. And, of course, over on Facebook at uh, the Movies We Like page where, you know, I'm always throwing little, uh, you know, questionnaires out to people about what movies that they're going to be seeing this weekend. And, you know, it'd be great if more people started uh, putting their responses on those. But uh, Yeah, I read this yeah. horrible, horrible thing today about how Facebook is, this is a Facebook rant. You know, they do this, this promoted, like if you have a page, you promote your own posts. Right. And they've apparently ratcheted down the number of uh, people who 
uh, actually see any given post. It's now like 10 to 15%. So you post something on your Facebook page or your, your own profile or your, your business page, only 10 to 15% of the people see it. Out of 100 people, only 10 or 15 people are going to see it unless you pay up to like 200 bucks to ensure that your individual post will go out to everybody. Oh, that's, that's it's so crazy. crummy. So it it really, I, I mean, it really helps if you subscribe to the show. The whole point of this is subscribe to the show on iTunes. Listen to us, join us, uh, share your thoughts on uh, on on Facebook, on iTunes. A, a favorable rating is always appreciated. Uh, and we are working hard. Andy is working hard to start <laughs> finding some of my domain name ideas funny. So that we can roll out uh, uh, movies we like to its very own website, which we're we're uh, we're on the cusp of doing. I can feel it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the, it's out there <laughs> somewhere. It's <laughs> a jubilant. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so definitely do that. You can catch me at, at Pete Wright uh, on the Twitter or uh, at. Uh, rashpixel.tv slash mwl you can find links to everywhere i am thanks so much for listening everybody and uh, make sure you catch up with us on saturday night talk about Cloud yeah, Atlas. saturday night and then next week we start our new series right yeah oh yeah what are we gonna do you want to tell I, I think we're gonna do uh, some great car chase movies it's all about the car chase movies yes, i'm pretty excited about this because we're gearing up for our our big anniversary show that's right Pretty excited about that. I don't know what that is. Is it what kind of? A, it's paper. Is it the paper anniversary? <laughs> uh, yes. What I are you gonna? So, what actually. are you? What are you gonna get me for our paper anniversary? <laughs> I'm gonna mail I'll, you I'll, I'll an envelope, you, uh, a letter, a just empty envelope. Yeah. Right. All right. I'm out of here. Have a wonderful evening, and uh, we'll chat in a couple nights. Indeed. Indeed. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.